Hey, hey, where's Nathan? We thought he was with you. Ah, that might be him now. Hey, mate, did you get locked out or something? Uh, not exactly. Where are you? I, I kind of took a few wrong turns and now I'm not at FBI anymore. Where'd you go? There's no easy way to say it. I'm in Sweden. Sweden? How the fuck did you end up in Sweden? I'm not sure. One minute I was opening the back door to get through to the toilets and I... Slipped on a banana peel. How did you know? The exact same thing happened to me the other night after I left the mystery car park meeting. I didn't want to say anything at the time. It felt too obvious, too silly. After everything we were talking about, what are the odds a banana peel would not only take me out, but magically transport me to Sweden. But how did you get back? I'll tell you everything you need to know. But first, would you mind if we finish the countdown? I'm getting a little antsy. You're not fucking serious. Our friend is trapped in Sweden. Yeah, no, but we'll get him back, and we only have the studio booked for another hour, so... <laughs> like, Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to side with Adam on this one. Time is of the essence. We've got him on the wire here now. Nathan, I know the expensive call charge is something that you can deal with as an actor with your millions of dollars. True. Stay on the line, please. At number four, this is the President of the United States of America. The song's called... Kid. No, no making a very welcome return at number four in the 1995 Hot 100 with a little track called Kitty. Things that I want to touch include Mr. Andrew McDonald. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Good one. Um, as I said before, my love of the presidents runs incredibly deep. And mm. this was, I think, perhaps the first song of theirs I remember liking. This is a sure, real, yeah. real... Wait, so the first song of the first band? I believe so, yeah. So it all began specifically with Kitty. Yeah, this is some Batman Begins This shit is where right my, <laughs> yeah, this is where my music nerdism started, I guess. This is your origin yeah. story. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And like, so it's really difficult to remove the nostalgia goggles here. Sure. Like, young Andrew loved it because it's kind of funny. It has some swears in it. Very good for a young mm. kid. Um, it's kind of grungy, not offensively grungy. That would put me off as a young kid. As a song, I, it's no lump, which I think is a superior track. Uh-huh. Very few um, songs are. Yeah. I mean, we've got to remember that. Yeah. But this is a, this is an absolute goddamn jam, and it's just delightful to groove along to. And like, if I try and give it a deaper listen, which is tricky, nostalgia goggles taped to my skull and all. They're um, just your eyes. Yeah, just they're, they're not, they're not, Yeah, they're not yeah. even goggles. Yeah. It's just like, that, that's your eyes. Man. Yeah, I had LASIK, but to <laughs> just yeah. put the goggles on, yeah. <laughs> the goggles, they the do goggles, everything. Yeah, they're <laughs> Real ass. Um, but like, it's weirder than I remembered. Like, if I pay attention to it, the lyrics are really weird. I'm like, Having a band do backup meow vocals, that's pretty <laughs> weird. Like, it's hard for me to notice that it's a bizarre choice for them to have made, but it is. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what of it? Yeah, <laughs> but like, it's heaps of fun. And like, again, it's kind of now that I look back on that first record, I probably put it towards the middle in terms of um, ranking songs from favorite to 12th or 13th favorite because they're, all, it's, cause they're <laughs> all hits. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is probably around the middle, but it's still, it's heaps of fun. It's irresistible to, to young ears, which I guess is a huge amount of the president's appeal to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not shooting for the academic crowd. Obviously, it's no, fun on the surface level music. It's a delight and it's a delightful song. Yeah. They're not shooting for the academic crowd, says, <laughs> says the guy currently writing his PhD. <laughs> on the presidency on the of the United States of America. <laughs> and, and, and their song, Kitty. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, the crazy thing for me is that this was number four. Like, if I was going to pick any of their songs to, you know, get this high up, I totally would have gone with Lump. But this is sillier. This makes sense for me. It is, it is sillier. I thought Peaches was their biggest hit, though. Yeah, totally. Have, did Peaches even come up I in be- this countdown? Did Pe- uh, no, maybe, maybe Peaches next, is the next year. year. Maybe, maybe next year. But, like, I, in my head, that's certainly their biggest hit. Yeah. I was very happy to, to see the presidents again, of course, you know, from a classic record of the 90s, as, as Mac has brought up. it's uh, It kind of sums up everything that's fun about this band. It's knowingly ridiculous. It goes for every possible entendre that uh, gets thrown its way. But does it? Because it's just about a cat. In much the same way that, like, Jesse is just about the dog. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like, I like how we're known as Big Brown Beaver is just about the beaver. Well, no, I, I, this is way I'd... more about the cat than that is about. No, the come on, I can't actually see come it being. On. No, I really can't. I like I've tried to read dirtiness into it, and it's just like every time it's just like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is just about a cat. <laughs> and in fact, the band has come on the record saying, as far as they know. As far as I know. As far as as far as I know, it's based on a true story of a cat that lived in uh, one of the bandmates' apartment. Sure. (laughs) It's right. It's written about a specific cat. It's written about Chris's cat. (laughs) Right. This is Chris's cat. (laughs) I love the um the cyclical nature of it in that in the narrative of the song. This is me being the academic. Yeah. Oh, you're but, both writing a fucking thesis. But if you play it, if you play it on repeat, which you do if you're trying to get an opinion about it, the cat begins outside. And then it's brought inside. Mm. But then, but then, guys, the cat misbehaves and is put outside. It returns to the outside world. It's a, it's a real comment on the cyclical nature of things. Of life. <laughs> yeah. It's the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, like, on the meows, I think special mention on that has to go to uh, the part where he talks about putting the cat outside and just, like, the particular meows the band do there. Like, this really scared... The surprise dick- meow? Yeah, the surprise like, meow. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's one of those things I always think, like, David, maybe you'll have more of a comment here, but, like, not, not, not that I'm a songwriter, but I remember writing shitty punk songs as a teenager, and I remember, like, really, really agonising over lyrics and really <laughs> agonising over everything. Not, 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 not in the no, sense that I was, like, a at all a good writer of punk music even. I'm not putting right. that in the case, but I would yeah. really spent a long time making sure that each line had some sort of meaning to it and or that yeah. I was at least proud of that I knew that like the songs that I really adore in my own personal life, they're the songs that I'm like Particularly, I guess, that age. I'm just thinking in particular of when I was 16 years old, really loving certain US and Australian punk acts, and I think of the NoFX song, The Separation of Church and Skate, and that's an irrationality of rationality. There's two really masterfully written punk pet songs where every line, I'm like, that's a quotable line. I could put that in my MSN screen name, and I probably did. <laughs> and I always like think of other, like, then I say other, other acts, bands that I really adore, and not without, like irony or nostalgia goggles, bands that I really like, this song included. I'm just like, it's weird that you'd be satisfied with that lyric, but it works perfectly, but I can't ever see myself thinking to myself, fuck you, kitty, you're going to spend the night outside and being like, oh, that's the line to keep. It's just bizarre to me. And it's, <laughs> it speaks to the confidence of them as songwriters that it works. That but like- it doesn't like need to be anymore. The, the entire thing about this song, and I think presidents across the, the songs that I've heard of them, is, is just that base level, this is a song about a cat, this is a song about a lump, this is a yeah. song about some peaches. Yeah. And it's like, they don't need to be about anything more because in the end, it's just at the service of this really fun thing. So it doesn't need to be anything other than, well, this is what this song is about. Yeah, like, but it's, it's so it amazing. That they ha- it's so amazing. Maybe it's just my anxiety speaking, but it's amazing that they have the confidence to have that ab- ability to be like, this song's about a cat that kept coming in my house. And that's it. That's and the it's, be- it's wonderful. That like, is the yeah, beauty of yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is, it that is, is wonderful. That, yeah. I think I totally agree. Like that, that simplicity, and I guess it is a confidence in a way to just like say like this is just what it is. Like you got to remember how little of a fuck this band has ever given. You yeah. know, like for one, they named themselves the president <laughs> of the United States of America, not the presidents of the USA, not the presidents. Their full title is <laughs> the presidents of the United States of America. All of them, collectively. <laughs> then take into further consideration the fact that they play made-up instruments. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they fucking would just say, well, we're not very good musicians. I'm good with two strings. This guy's good with three. He's a bit more advanced. So here's what we've got. <laughs> and they made music on the basis of that. The on, drum kit on is... On the git basis yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pristine, pristine. Like, even the, even the kit's tiny. It might as well be a fucking, like, little dr- like yeah. toy drum kit, you know? like It's a small kit. It's a kitty. Yeah. Hey. Thank you. 
Okay, mine wasn't as good as Andrew's. What do you want? Yeah, can I get a bit more sigh in the foldback? Thank you. Um, I just appreciate how little of a fuck this band gives, and I I am so stoked that people responded accordingly. Like, uh, this is just a, a super fun song, and uh, I'm sure Nathan agrees with me, but I could be wrong. It's just such a fun song. Like you said, it, it's weird that this is higher than Lump. I think Lump is a better quote-unquote song, uh, maybe because of the verses of this, which are fun and, and obviously very fun. But actually, I'm thinking about it, and maybe I changed my mind because that bass line is just so cool. But it, it's just the weird novel bits that maybe, like the, the weird stuff in the verses that I loved when I was first into this album, but now kind of make me go to other songs instead. When the rock kicks in at, at the end, it's just it's just so much fun. And, and like you guys said, you get to the end, and it's like, oh, okay, that song was just about a cat wanting to come inside. Okay. But unlike Jesse, it, uh, it doesn't have an air of attempting to be anything other than what it is, which is really cool. All right, Nathan, tell me what you see. There's a tunnel. It, it seems to be leading underground. Okay, right, take it straight down until you reach the end. What's down there? <sighs> you don't want to know. Oh, God. Do you see it? I see it. I see the tour poster for live with special guest Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray? See, not serious. Yeah, it was a real thing that happened. The tour dates, they're missing. It's got something else written there. There are two guys in live named Chad. One will grant you freedom. The other will pin you down and abuse you for being strange. Choose wisely. Oh my god! Adam, what does he do? I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's all in code. Uh, the one on the right! It worked! I'm on the other side. Okay, stay the path. We'll be with you in a second. Guys, we need to get back to the task at hand. Alright, you got it. Time to walk through the valley in the shadow of death at number three. It's Coolio with Gangster's Paradise. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long That even my mama thinks that my mind is gone But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking Or you and your homies might be lying to chalk I really hate the trip, but I gotta lope as they grow, I see myself in the pistol smoke, fool. I'm the kind of cheater, little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light. situation they got me facing i can't live a normal life i was raised by the state so i gotta be damn with the hood team too much television watching got me chasing dreams i'm an educated fool with money on my mind got my tin in my hand and a gleam in my eye i'm a low doubt gangster set tripping banker and my homies is down so don't arouse my anger fool coolio rolling in at number three with gangsters paradise there, there is nothing left. Like we only have three songs, so uh, maybe all of our minds are gone at this point. You know, after slaving over three seasons worth of mm. various ridiculous songs, and also some of the greatest songs of all time. We've had extreme highs and excruciating lows, and here we are with, uh, I believe, this. Apart from "Candle in the Wind" nineteen ninety seven, this is the highest selling single of the nineties. Like, really, this is Whoa. like one of the biggest songs of the nineties. I'm pretty sure this was number one in Australia for 13 weeks. Wow. 13 goddamn weeks. That yeah. is a sizable chunk of a year. Like, yeah. <laughs> of of this just taking over everything. It would have been a lot of people in 95 really sick of Coolio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy was everywhere, and especially in relation to hip-hop, which, which reminds me of a friend it? of mine, Mr. Adam now. Buncher. Huh. Funny that. <laughs> Absolutely wildly huge. Yes. And still to this day, like, wildly huge. In the end, maybe one of the simplest and best things that I can say to sum up this song is that people who don't like hip-hop probably still like this song. Yeah. People who have absolutely no time for hip-hop probably really get down against his paradise when it's dropped. Yeah. And it will be. 
I'm glad I get to talk about this song because this song shares something in common in terms of my reception with the with the next two songs that kind of follow as well. In that it's oh, kind of because yeah. this song has nothing in common. No, with the songs, <laughs> no, it, it like doesn't at all. <laughs> it doesn't. But in terms of the way I kind of view it, it it kind of does because this is like the furthest possible extent of a hip hop pop hit. Mm. Don't don't try and say that. <laughs> I, I barely got through it without my brain exploding. Um, I think Dr. Zeus wrote that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the places you'll go. <laughs> Straight to Gangster's Paradise, of course. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> he will not pop his Glock on a train. He will not pop his Glock in the rain. It just takes all of the kind of hip-hop image and hip-hop style that's kind of come before it but then just packages it up in this super shiny, super slick, super accessible pop veneer that is just so condensed and so ready to go. It's just like a, it's, a, it's the takeaway food of hip-hop is Gangster's Paradise. Oh, that's a bit too disparaging, I think. It depends how you feel about takeaway food. Sometimes it really hits the spot. <laughs> yeah, but true. You know what true. I mean? So it's this big, ridiculous pop hip-hop song that was always going to eventuate. And Coolio himself kind of takes the stage as like a a cartoon characterized version of what Tupac was at this time. And, you know, like, and and he's he's still talking about, on face value, the same kinds of things, but just in such a kind of shallow, straight up, one-liner kind of way, like I mean, as I walk through the valley in the shadow, like that—that's one of the most iconic opening lines of the nineties, and it's you know? really hooky, but it doesn't communicate kind of anything. No. <laughs> but also, I think it's that that works for its pop crossover success. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, if, yeah, as I yeah. said, like it all makes sense, and it's only like I think there are probably a lot of real big hip hop heads who would probably go mad ham on it mm. and get really, really critical, and especially perhaps yeah. talking about it, you know, in the way it kind of watered down a lot of the the strengths of hip-hop in terms of what it was achieving politically yeah, and all that kind of stuff. This might be me ragging on third wave pop-punk in the 90s. Like, as someone who... Yeah, yeah maybe there is quite, that, perhaps. Yeah. But, like, as somebody who's not a big hip-hop listener, to me, it's just like, I can't fathom disliking this song. It's so enjoyable. Like, yeah. As, like, That's the th- that is yeah, the thing. Yeah, there's so much love about it. I Like, obviously... The Stevie Wonder sampling by I didn't know yeah. this, but by Doug <laughs> yeah. Rashid is just. Fucking impeccable and looks that, so. That's the yeah. thing. This song is so iconic that it eclipsed a fucking Stevie yeah. Wonder song, <laughs> mm. like one of the most successful recording artists of all time. But the second anyone's just like been spending most our lives, they're not going to say pastime paradise, yeah, yeah. are they? No. They're going to immediately go to fucking gangsters paradise. That is where the fuck they are going. Yeah. yeah. If you can listen to this song and resist like rapping along to it under your breath, then you're like. Maybe you're not as white as I am, <laughs> but also his his delivery is so much fun. Like it's, it's so yeah, much fun. Even my mama thinks. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're like yeah, that oh, kind of. Thing. It's so charming for what it is. Even even if it is that kind of. I think I nailed it with the junk food analogy. Really, I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to say anything more after I said that. Like I kind of yeah. just hit it on that. It's it's good. It's satisfying. It's not but ho- I think it's but- not wholesome. You can't have it all the time. No, but no. I, th- there, I think there is there is more of a message here than a better lot of when other you're drunk. Pop, pop, so. <laughs> There, there's more of a message here than most crossover hip hop pop successes. I this think, is true. like, yeah. it, it is written from a as much as it is a popular and it uses populism in its message. I do think he is obviously quite sincere in the sense that, like, that it's bet it's wor- it's worse to rule in hell than it is to serve in heaven, which is like I guess yeah, his, cool. his position being a badass in a bad life. Like, I think that's a far like that. There's far more meaning in that than a lot of other like popular hip hop success songs. Yeah, maybe like, so. Just even like a few years after this, when Eminem became a successful rapper. Extraterrestrial, running over pedestrians in a spaceship while they're screaming at me. His early hip hop pop songs were just like not really about anything. Yeah, like, my name is. Yeah. And maybe it's me being a little bit, you know, going like, well, it's a it's a mainstream hip hop. It's a mainstream pop success. It can't possibly be represent hip hop. Yeah. yeah. I, maybe there's a bit of that for me going mm. on in that. And to be fair, I don't know any other Coolio songs. Like maybe if Does anyone? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm not sure even Coolio knows any <laughs> <laughs> He's just looking down at his list, you know, it's like Gangsters Paradise is at the end. It's like 10 other songs like what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you brought up uh things that Coolio has done outside 
of, of this song. This song. And Have you done your which, research? And why Coolio has lived a many splendid life. Oh my god! Since being he's a lived rapper. the life of Riley. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> well, he's gone on to release a few albums independently, uh-huh. but he's also become a chef. Hey, he's, oh, nice. he's like a reverse action Bronson. You better slow down, baby. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck, that's delicious. <laughs> he also created a web series titled Cooking with Coolio and released a cookbook. No oh shit, god. that's awesome. That's the- fucking fantastic news, man. Because <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> so- we. There when he also... became a chef, I was like, oh man, cooking with Coolio, write that series. <laughs> <laughs> um, Talk about a pastime paradise, am I right, fellas? <laughs> in 2009, he appeared as a housemate in Celebrity Big Brother. And then yes. in 2010, in Ultimate Big Brother. Yes. Ultimate Big Brother. He decided to leave the house after confrontations with numerous other people. You're absolutely doing the wrong thing. I don't because wanna I can talk to whoever I want to talk to. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear fucking you. This is my house and you in. Oh, <laughs> Who the fuck's with Great. Coolio? Who's, know, who's no. looking down Coolio right around Gangster's Paradise? I'm like, yeah, I'll fucking take him on. Oh, but it gets better because not only did he participate in two seasons of Big Brother, he was also in 2013... On an episode of Wife Swap. Oh my god. <laughs> she left him after the program. Oh no. For the person he swapped with? Uh, well, I, I hope not. I don't know. Oh god, I hope <laughs> I not. Don't know. That would be amazing. That's such an obvious question that I didn't follow yeah. up on. Um, <laughs> just... the, the only interesting bit of Coolio trivia I know is that because this song came on in the office just a week ago, and I was thinking, what's Coolio up to now? I looked him up. Um, last thing that happened to him was um, he got arrested for having a loaded gun at the airport. So, oh, yeah. 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 They can't all be zingers. <laughs> Did he explain that he's been spending most of his life living in a gangster's paradise? I, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. That's where he was flying to. <laughs> <laughs> One ticket to gangster's paradise. I've always loved this song ever since I was a kid. Um, obviously, being, being a fat white nerd, I obviously uh, had an appreciation for this song, partly due to the success of Amish Paradise uh, by your <laughs> friend and mine, a silly Alfred Yankovic. Uh, <laughs> As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. Sadly, never seen Coolio to it, but uh, that would that would be a dream come true. You know how we were talking the other week about how um, Weird Al comes out and does Gump with President of the United States? If fucking Coolio got up and did Amish Paradise with Weird Al. That's insane. Oh, that would be my dream. <laughs> See, that I would think, be my fucking I, I dream. I think more likely because he's expressed affinity for... Al's um, rapping prowess in the song would yeah. be Camillier joining in for White and Nerdy because oh. Camillier has bigged up Al's cover. My rims never spin to the contrary. You'll find it there quite stationary. Yeah, Which yeah. I think is delightful as well. Which It'd is the... very weird having Camillier sing, sing that. Sing White and Nerdy. Sing white and nerdy. <laughs> very fucking weird. It's like, excuse me, Camillier, you don't get to say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> only we get only to say we, that. Only we, yeah. Only we're allowed to say only that. Only weird Al is about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> he owns both yeah. those titles. But yeah, obviously, huge, huge love for this track and i remember this being inescapable for many many years and the fact that it's you know still uh resonating to this day and is still kind of discussed as one of the most important singles in terms of hip-hop crossing over in terms of a mainstream appeal like you know there's a lot yeah. to be said about oh, I, that. You should, I, I shouldn't talk that down because that's pretty massive really yeah like. yeah there's there's a big big cultural significance to that and yeah like there is something very impressive about a song, you know, that has such a dark overtone and like an aggress such an aggressive delivery to, you know, like in times that you know, when he's just like growling and, you know, like doing that you know, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, just going saying, going for you it. You know, like that's, I was that's a, like obviously with, with some, you know, hip hop songs that were like popular, like on the charts and stuff like that, you know, people like People like Run DMC, you know, with with like Walk This Way with Eris. Yeah, they only know. they only got there by yeah, incorporating yeah. rock and, yeah, and other yeah. forms that pre existed at the time. But you know, their 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 delivery is also very you know very old school in the ha, da 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 yeah. da da da. Yeah, as hey, Donald hey. Glover once put it. Have you ever listened to rap back in the day? It's always some dude being like, "Well, I went to the hat store today and I bought myself a hat." <laughs> Which much. is that is that is old school hip hop in a nutshell. Pretty much. <laughs> Mid mid eighties hip hop. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was either blending with it was either with hat white store stuff. rap or it was yeah. it was rock rap. Yeah, so it was either like blending with white genres, like when the fat boys teamed up with the Beach Boys. Here we go. We got the 
<laughs> Please, YouTube, that is the greatest thing you will ever see. Oh, which um, executive thought that up? Oh, some fucking evil genius that I owe my life to. Get that man in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, or B, you know, it was it was very just like goofy and like, ha ha ha. Whereas, you know, this song is, you know, it's got the fucking march of a fucking funeral dirge and it's fucking gritty and intense mm. and it fucking booms, you know. It's got a huge fucking thudding kind of dynamic to it. It's got like a like a misery and so It's in a minor key for fuck's sake. It's in C minor. <laughs> C minor is one of the saddest keys. That's all, it's almost D minor. Almost D minor, almost. which is the saddest of all the keys. Yeah. But there's one gangster that we haven't uh, addressed in the room and that's that's Nathan. Do you know what it's like? I don't know what it's like that much. This is a song that is just weirdly skirted on the edge of my cultural awareness for like, I guess like 20 years or something now. Like obviously I know it and I've I've heard this forever, but it's a song that like I always forget. Or I don't know, if you remind me of it, I have to kind of manually construct the beat and then the strings and the vocals together before I remember what the song feels like. I don't think that's a criticism of the song. Because it, it works well enough together. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like a wonderfully slick, epic track. I think it's really pushing for a style that is, I guess, like grander than hip hop in, in how clean it is. And it's got just a hugely different aesthetic. It kind of makes me think of things like the batshit crazy R. Kelly musical, the In the Closet or whatever. It's just like that sort of ambition and, and going for that grandiosity. I'm way more familiar with my friend's mashup of this and Mumbo Number no. 5, so I kind of have to not put the Lou Bega horns in whenever I remember the song. But it's just so perfectly iconic for all the right and the wrong reasons at the same time. So it has to be at this end of the countdown. Final piece of Coolio trivia. You ready for it? Oh, what do we got? Actually, can I have two? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> yes, you're editing this. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not only was his wife at one point, not the one who left him during Wife Swap. Not only did she change her name to Coolia. Oh, that good. Yeah, isn't it, it good? Um, oh, but also, how did Coolio get his name? Glad you asked. Apparently, he used to carry a guitar around with him. Um, and at one point, someone was heard to quip, who do you think you are, man? Coolio Iglesias? And yes, he did. Oh, that is good oh, shit. Oh, that wow. is that is good. It's wild. Coolio Iglesias. Coolio Iglesias. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Okay, Nathan, did you put on the Tism Balaclava? Of course. Drugs. Did you do the Tim Allen grunt into the cavern? The troll wouldn't have let me pass otherwise. Did you put off talking about how much you hate everything Zen? Yep, I beat around the bush. The fuck? <laughs> okay, that means it's time for you to complete the next step. In order to get into the final room that will lead you back into FBI, you're going to have to pick up that copy of the Batman Forever soundtrack and peg it directly into the barrel at the other end. If you get it in, you'll activate the bridge. I'm scared, guys. This was never really my forte. I believe in you, Nathan. I know you can do it. Are you sure? As sure as I am about the fact that American singer-songwriter Jeff Buckley died from drowning. I'm such a bad person. You're a terrible person. Now peg that CD! Yes! Hooray! Okay, you're almost there! The world is a beautiful place, you guys. Close enough. The world is actually a vampire. At number two, it's the Smashing Pumpkins with Bullet with Butterfly Wings. The world is a vampire.
Smashing Pumpkins coming in at number two in the 1995 Hottest 100. That track is called Bullet with Butterfly Wings. We've discussed this band uh, a couple of times already, and uh, obviously we're talking about what is probably their most famous song, one of the big, big rock anthems of the 90s. Like, where do you begin with a song like this? I I guess we start with you, good man. It's one of those songs that, like, even though as much as, like, like today was obviously a huge hit for them, but this Mm. resonated in a way that was perfect, like, post-grunge malaise with a lot of, like, disenfranchised youth. And, Mm. like, whilst... As we've said before, and we'll probably say again, it's easy and fun and worthwhile making fun of Billy Corgan in 2016. (laughs) Having said that, he really tapped into something here that I think was really core to a lot of unhappy teenagers and early 20-year-old, particularly men. Yes, Um, But I'm sure there are a lot of... I'm sure there are some women fans, much to his chagrin. Um, (laughs) It's so easy to make fun (laughs) of you, Billy. Darcy Ratsky. If I was 16 when this song came out, I'm sure I would have bought a Zero shirt. This song, whilst now in my adult years, it's very easy to look at it. I just turned 26 and I still want a Zero shirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like, don't want a Zero shirt. Just for, the, just for the, you know, like... Let's all go out and get zero, matching Zero, zero shirts. It okay. something completely different now. Yeah. Like, is that a Zero shirt? And we're like, yes, we yeah. can. It is. Um, we should have, like, an Amazon registry. It's just like, can you guys buy yeah, us some this Zero shirts? This is the, yeah. the, the hottest hundreds and thousands wish list. Yeah. It's yeah. just Zero shirts. Zero shirts and Bushka singles. <laughs> <laughs> one small, one medium, and one 3XL, please. Thank you. And Nathan can be naked. <laughs> um, Nathan's got one shirtless yeah. like the raver that he yeah. is. <laughs> exactly. He hasn't worn clothes in years. Yeah. This is true. Surprise um, fact about Nathan. If you've never seen him, yeah, if you, if you see he's the, been naked the whole time. Yeah. If you listen to the audio version of this podcast, yeah. you haven't never seen him as a <laughs> naked man. You've got to pay a little bit yeah. extra to get us on Periscope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we just deal with it, you wouldn't know. We just... It's cold. I'm so cold. But yeah, I think this really tapped into like every generation, particularly of young people, likes to think that their generation is the hardest done by. And I do think there's like certain things which is a bit like... It's like whenever people talk about like millennials being like, oh, you you boomers wrecked the housing market. Yeah, of course they fucking did. But like everyone's unhappy. Every generation of young teenagers and early adults has their own reason to find misery in life. And I think the 90s was a particular time for that as well. And mm. I think Billy Graham yeah. tapped into it incredibly like poetically might be a bit like highfalutin to attribute to this as just grungy song. But like... And I particularly as like as a miserable, he definitely considers himself a bit of a poet. I, I'm no doubt. Um, and like as like as like a miserable adult, the depression and nihilism ring a little bit phony. But like again, if I was 16, this would have been like I would have been painting my fingernails black. Not that I, yeah, like and wearing zero shirts and like doing all the smashing pumpkin affectations and stuff because this taps into a real a real sense of unhappiness that is particular to 90s. Teenage and early twenties men. Yes, mm. yeah. yes, yes, yes. And also, but I think we've talked about it several times. Is that we just don't engage with sincerity in the same way anymore because yeah. culture has shifted. And I think this is engaging with unhappiness in a really sincere way. Oh, absolutely. And I think, yeah. So, like you feeling distanced from that is kind of just symptomatic of the same thing we've encountered again and again. You yeah. Know, whether it be in Jeff Buckley or in this song, and or, it's, it's or that, whatever. That, that kind of over the top, like way too. Not that it's necessarily cringeworthy, but that that like that that knee jerk reaction away from overly sharing, saying despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Like that's a real yeah. cringy lyric on its own, but he delivers it with such sincerity that like at the time, I can see people being like, "Yeah, man, I know exactly what yeah. you're fucking talking and about." And the world is a vampire. Like the only reason that that's so cheesy is because it's so fucking good. Yeah, mm. like the, it succeeds so well at conveying what it's supposed to convey yeah. that. That's what we have trouble with, not the fact that it's not good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A reading of it that I only recently became aware of is like around the context of what Billy Corgan might have meant when he was writing this kind of song, the idea okay. of being a rat in a cage. And I read an article that was pointing out that at this time with the fall of Nirvana and everything, yeah. everyone was kind of, you know, surveying the landscape and reacting to it in various different ways. Totally. So a lot of people would have been looking to the pumpkins at this time and going like, well, hey, guys, are you going to, you know, we no longer have Nirvana. You, you have to carry us through alt rock. It's on you now. So I feel like... No pressure. A, a lot of... Yeah, <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And what it basically meant was that, hey, Billy, you have to care a lot about writing songs about how little you care. 
and mm. you know you have to you have to really commit to these kind of unhappy feelings so when you look at the lyric despite all my rage i'm still just a rat in a cage it's just kind of like the idea of manufacturing these negative emotions but being trapped by that artistically and by the expectations that people are putting on you okay i think it fits in perfectly with the context of what's going on for the pumpkins at this time uh corgan's been noted saying that um he really felt like when they were approaching making uh, Melancholy, that they were doing it as if it was going to be their last album. Because either, in his words, it was going to be the last album or it was going to be the last albums of the Smashing Pumpkins as they know it. It's either the end of the world or the end of the world as they knew it. Mm. At, at I'd have been time. okay with that, just quietly. Yeah, <laughs> no, knowing what we know now. Yeah. But, it, but it kind of was for you. Like, it's not wrong. Like, for a lot of fans of, of the Pumpkins, myself kind of included, this is where the Pumpkins ends. My interest in the pumpkins is done after this song. Yeah, I know a lot of, of other diehard there's fans the, uh, follow uh, through like, with the rest for of like their the discography. Five or so records they've put out since then, there's maybe an EP's worth of good songs. Their 2014 <laughs> album, uh, Monuments to an Elegy, had some alright tracks on it. But again, it's alright. It's middle of the road generic rock that happens to have Billy Corgan in it now. It's not smashing pumpkins. Yeah. This, this is where the band ended. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, you know, I, I feel that way. A lot of other people kind of feel that way. And that's kind of how they felt at the time when they were composing it. So to bring it back to what I was saying about Gangster's Paradise and how like the other songs are kind of similar, I feel like this is like the distalized version of the Pumpkins and of 90s alt-rock. Yeah. It's mm. In much the same way that like... I see where you're going with the next song as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, so in much the same way that if you took like you know, like all of hip hop and you crunched it down and put it under high pressure and then packaged it really sleekly and ser- served it up in a pop way. I think you're doing that with the pumpkins here um, and with 90s alt rock in general. And I think mm. like... Well, not necessarily 90s alt rock, 90s sad white man alt rock. Like yeah, stuff, stuff, yeah. Stuff like that's, the pumpkins yeah. and yeah. Nine Inch Nails, yeah. like that kind that's of sound. Right. Yeah. And it look, I think it's a perfect example for that in in terms of it being like you get everything you need on the first pass yeah in terms of that communication which is brilliant like mm. it's a diamond of a song in terms of you know its value but also mm. in terms of the fact that it is so it's pressurized it's pressurized yeah, yeah. like the carbon is stacked very neatly here yeah. yeah canonical is another word that i would use yeah, absolutely you know like it's absolutely 90s canon and, and alt rock canon that being said for that, like, I think if you're a Pumpkins fan and, you know, like, I'm not the biggest one, but I still kind of go in for a couple of their records, mm. it, because of its accessibility and because, and maybe this is something to be said about, you know, the fact that you know, I need to work out a little bit more for in order for it to be more rewarding. Right, right. Which I think is a thing mm. that can sometimes oh, yeah. happen. You know, I, I don't like it as much as some of the other deeper cuts, like, you know, even on Melancholy XYU. Which is not nearly as concise or even well crafted yeah. or well written as a song, but like that, the way it kind of jams out, yeah. uh, or like um, Silver Fuck, <laughs> or Geek USA. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like well, I think that the problem with these, ta- the problem, so to speak, with mm-hmm. these tail end of the countdown songs, and I'm not sure if this is this will be an interesting trend if we want to reflect back on the previous years and indeed going forward for future seasons, yes. but. Maybe because these songs are just so excessively popular, and that like that's obviously why they're up here. But this obviously, P- Pumpkins fans would have written this song in because they know it's the hit single. Yeah, and non-Pumpkins fans who like it as well, and because of that, that's it's it. intrinsically and like with the Coolio it's, it's got song cross section exactly, yeah. and like with the next song as well. And that's just a countdown thing. But that's obviously why they're at this end of the countdown. Oh, totally. And that's like it's partly this end of the countdown. It's intrinsically going to have those these kind of songs that are the distilled version of a song that checks all the boxes, but also checks the pop hit box. Yeah, yeah. and in much the same way that there are people who don't like hip hop who like who definitely like Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah. People who don't like the, the Smashing Pumpkins probably like this song. Yeah, yeah. I already had some time for it. I'm not sure what was a, what was a bigger chart hit this or tonight. But tonight's certainly more I'm accessible. I'm not sure. Surely, yeah. I feel yeah. like this would have been. Yeah. Uh, but that's just a hint. Both would have been pretty I'm... high up. This would yeah, have probably this might have this might have been higher on the uh, the the Billboard like rock charts. Yeah. Whereas tonight tonight would have probably been bigger up on just like the regular Billboard charts. Um. Because tonight tonight would appeal to mums even. I reckon. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, that it's that, that was that was um, it's quite nice. It, it yeah. is quite nice. Why don't you listen to more stuff like yeah. this, Jeremy? There's a nice rolling nature to that, Andrew. Yeah, you know the the oh, the this, the orchestration is lovely. Yeah. You know it. It's when like, are you going to play uh, the violin? He, he looks yeah. very handsome in the video on amongst the stars there, doesn't yeah. he? Oh, that's a that's an homage to a 
a film from the 1940s, <laughs> yeah, don't you know? That reminds me of fucking Trip to the Moon. No, that's Dad. Yeah. Dad comes in. Oh, yeah, 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 you know yeah, what they're yeah. referencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll tell you a thing yeah, yeah, about yeah, very cinema. Good, very good. It's, right. it's like that's they... A, that's a George A. Millet reference. <laughs> dad. Yeah. It's, it's like talking about French cinema. <laughs> oh, Dad. We have the weirdest Classic Dad. dad. <laughs> Classic Dad. Um, One of my favourite parts of this song is that moment where... You know, Billy just fucking goes completely off script with the melody and just screams, what have you got? What have you got? Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. one of those foot yeah. down, like, what fucking come at me bro moments totally. in 1990s rock music. Yeah. You know, and people remember that, you know. Which I think, again, communicates the pressure of the situation. Totally. Hey, you know what, actually, it reminds me of um, the scream in Number of the Beast as well. <laughs> Oh, yeah! It's kind of that yes. kind of thing. Nice! Which apparently came about because Bruce Dickinson was doing take after take after take of trying to get that scream, and the producer deliberately was saying, like, no, it's not the one. It's not the one. Give us another one. And he got so frustrated, he eventually busted that out. And he was like, okay, oh. we got it. Yeah. <laughs> That is that is Evil some next genius. level shit. But yeah, like this is just one of those perfect angst anthems that uh like we've talked about how Billy Corgan wants to go on and on about how you know he was the Smashing Pumpkins, but you listen to a, a, a track like this and it really shows what everyone else in the band had to offer. Fucking Ihar is just shredding away as yep. per usual. Jimmy motherfucking Chamberlain, like those primal fucking tom rolls and those big fills in the the verses and then into that pre-chorus where he matches his snare hits with the syncopation of the lyrics I love that about this song that there is such a percussive element to it um, and that's actually something that came up in a later live version as well um, when they toured in 1998 um, they were obviously very very sick of all their hits so they used to do them in really roundabout uh, and weird ways uh, including this song so when it came to doing Bullet with Butterfly Wings throughout most of the song uh, they wouldn't play like the riffs, you know. Uh, most of the song was based off just toms and like the drums. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite versions of the song just yeah. because uh, of how fucking weird it is. I love it when uh, like an artist will be like, okay, we're going to keep playing, you know, this song that you want to hear, but we're going to play it in a way that you are not going to want to hear it. I kind of like that one. I, like I'm that. so into that. What I want from a show essentially is not, in, not entirely this, but I do want to hear at least at some point a new version of a song that I'm familiar with. I don't want to just right. hear the rote version of a song. Even with like punk music, I want it to be faster, maybe a bit sloppier. Great that they, Smashing Pumpkins did that, and it ties into why I think that they were so popular at the time. Because we, um, we'll probably get to talk about them again, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, well, not- yeah, Melancholy's got a few more hits too. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling on into 1996. Yeah. Well, uh, this one, uh, a Grammy in 97, this very song. I don't know how really? that, Yeah, I don't know how that happened. The Grammy yeah. timing is always Grammy fucking weird. so bizarre, weird. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nathan, what do you got, man? There's something- no, no, seriously. What do you got? Yeah, it's very good. It's from the song. <laughs> There's something about resigning yourself and, and embracing the impotence of your anger that's very, I don't know, I think it disarms me, which is it's funny because of the pumpkin song, but, but there's something about it that I think just strips something back and like lays itself bare. And like Andrew said, if, if, if this grabs you at the right age, it just goes straight to your core. And I can think of a lot of punk tracks that, that I found at that age that do the exact same job, but it's such a great song. You know, like what a, powerful statement for post-grunge to call out that grand spectacle of grunge's emotion in a track that still rocks this hard but is just sort of saying how how empty and impotent it is i think that's just super cool and the band do such great work i love the drums in the verses and even though i probably prefer the guitar tone of other pumpkin tracks like cherubrock or whatever it's doing its job very well here uh, and obviously, I hate the world is a vampire before the music kicks in. I hate it so bad. I was always going to hate it. I will always hate it. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm so ready to go home. It's so cold in Sweden, and I just want to go back to my Raver gear, my Tism albums, and my seemingly endless supply of drugs. You're almost there, mate. So, 
what's next? Do I have to fight a giant robot Tim Allen? Maybe recite a verse from Chuck? Do I get to kick mindless Drop Hoover in the nards? Please let that be a thing. Actually, this last bit is the most simple of all. In the middle of the room, you'll see a dicky kneecap and wig. All you have to do is put it on, click your heels together and say there's no place like home. That's it? That's it? That's shit! Trust me, I haven't led you astray this far, have I? Well, alright, but at least finish the countdown, yeah? Yeah, time's a ticking. You right to hang in there for a minute, mate? Sure, I mean, there's a couple of things left here that I haven't had a look- DON'T TOUCH ANYTHING! What? Sorry, I, I just meant, you know, one wrong move and you're stuck in Sweden forever. I just, I just don't want to lose you, man. Quit with the sentimentality, you fucks! This is the number one song in the Triple J Hottest 100! Top end. Whew, the it's, toppest of ends. Yeah. Tippy top end. Could we get much higher? So, so high. high. Uh, At number one in the 1995 Hottest 100 from the album What's the Story? Morning Glory, the band is Oasis and the song is Wonderwall. Hit it! Today, by now, I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out Sure, you've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. And all the roads we have to walk are winding, and all the lights that lead us there are blinding. There are many things that I Ooh. At number one in the 1995 Hottest 100. Oh, fucking sis. Oh, fucking sis. The song is Wonderwall. The album is What's the Story, Morning Glory. The band is Oasis. The year is 1995. That is <laughs> yeah. the that's number it. one. Yeah, uh, yeah that that's it. it. Give it up. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Cross 100. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a polite applause. Yeah. I, I think this is a song, if any song deserves polite applause in the history of pop music, <laughs> it is Wonderwall. It's just like, well... You did a you did a pretty good job. We're not really fans of you anymore. You are the most trite, cliched, and annoying song that anyone could Whoa. play on acoustic guitar. Uh, aside from maybe uh, another hottest one hundred entry, Taylor by Jack Johnson. <laughs> you know <laughs> the biddle <laughs> the like the advanced guitar dudes in your class. It's like check this out. <laughs> I was that guy. I was so that And guy. the panties dropped. 
drop. Whereas this, you just need to have they four. Did not. Yeah, you know, you know how country music's uh, three chords and the truth. This is this is four chords and a lager. This is <laughs> that's what that's what this song is because there's no truth to this song. It, it means fucking absolutely oh, not a GD I'd, thing. I don't think that there are many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how. Yeah, you've you've shown us that, man. Like there is nothing to the song. There is no such thing as a wonder wall. Let's let's make that thing exceptionally clear. You know, there are there's a lot to nit pick about this song when it comes on you don't particularly think about it but after the fact you'll be sitting around just being like oh yeah that song's a little bit bullshit isn't it <laughs> like there's a reason that it is regarded you know as one of the most fucking naff songs from that era everyone will fucking sing along to it and just like oh yeah you know isis or whatever you know like but at least, you know, something like Don't Look Back in Anger, you know, like, I think that is the superior single, in my humble opinion, mainly because Noel is the superior Gallagher and the superior songwriter. That's just science. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get past, you know, the, the big, like, all-in-arms sing-alongs, you know, like... It, it, it's one of those kind of things where it's it's the most popular kid in school, but everyone is talking shit about him behind his back. <laughs> you know, the second he leaves, just like you heard what he fucking did just recently. Fucking, I'll tell you what he <laughs> tell you what Simon got up to on the weekend. This piece of shit. It's it is one of the great love hate relationships in the history of pop music. This song, it, it always has been for me. You know, like you'll you'll you know laugh and sing along for the minutes that it's on, but the second it's not, you're just like, oh Jesus shit, really? Of all the of all the songs to become the fucking global anthem of Oasis, like huh. it was this one. Like I had some great things to say about Morning Glory. I really like Morning Glory. I really like Some Might Say. I really like Cast No Shadow. As he faced the sun, he cast no shadow. I really like Don't Look Back in Anger. I've even got time for Champagne Supernova, which perhaps has a dumber lyric than You're My Wonderwall, which is slowly moving down the hall faster than a cannonball, <laughs> which makes even less sense than You're My Wonderwall. If that is even humanly possible, well, here we are. You can't be one of those people, like I said, that just thinks all of Oasis was shit, but you can't just think that they were the golden gods. You know, you need to you need mm. to find that middle ground which is just like, okay, this works, this works, this works, and this definitely did not work. This definitely did. You know, there's there's moments of greatness, there's moments of terribleness, you know, like they they have a very, very imbalanced discography. I'll give them that. But uh, you know, for this very moment, they were the biggest band in the world with the biggest song in the world. I can't take that away from them. I just think that other songs of theirs were more deserving. Namely, Don't Look Back in Anger, but, you know, what the fuck would I know? Cards on the Table, even as a kid when this song used to come on, I never liked it. And this yeah, was, right. This was why I think I, for so long, resisted ever listening to Oasis. Sure. I'm like, they're fucking... Because okay. I just thought they sounded like Wonderwall, and I don't really like this song. But, yeah. like, looking back on it now, like... A, in 2016, there's only so much love anybody would ever openly express for this and not be, like, derided, right? Like, yeah, totally. It's exactly, such, exactly. Because it's, like, it's it's the song at a party where someone has a guitar and everyone's having a good time, but then the guy with the guitar is like, no, it's a, it's, let's, let's play guitar together, and they play Wonderwall. Like, it's, it's one of those like, oh, songs. fuck off. Yeah. Because we've, we've, we've mentioned a few times the, about how grunge was, like, the sincerity versus brute props irony but this is not ironic this is really really fucking it's sincere so not ironic yeah, there's like there's not a hint of wink and a nudge with this song like, this is straight face say sincerity. no more yeah. say no more but it's 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 but it's so british right like not even just his accent like it just everything yeah. about it just the dreariness of it all it feels yeah, like a it's, rainy it's day going for Britishness like, in the same way as like that's entertainment by the jam yeah you know? fully right yeah but yeah obviously has none of the a, appeal yeah, or charisma a, of that um, song. a comparison that I'm sure the Gallagher's have made themselves <laughs> probably <laughs> um, yeah, is like, there a British band that they haven't compared yeah. themselves to <laughs> um, yeah this is like I don't know I never really liked this song I just maybe it, it, it's too broad it's too soft it's too meandering. I don't know. There's just not, nothing about it that's ever really connected with me. And now that I know that it's now, now that I know it's popular, I've always known it to be <laughs> popular. But like looking back on it now and really trying to give it an honest evaluation is kind of taxing because it's one of those songs that everybody in the world knows and everybody in the world has, has yeah. some relationship with. Be it yeah, yeah. be it 
too many white dudes at parties <laughs> or buskers every street around the world. Yeah. Like, or just be, being through cultural osmosis. Like you've always heard parts of this song on the radio or you've yeah. turned on video hits yeah, yeah, and you've yeah, yeah, caught yeah. the end of it because it was number one for so long or even on Rage at 11 o'clock before I start playing the, the interesting cuts, they'll play <laughs> yeah, this song yeah. at like 11.30. There's this, I don't know, it's one of those songs that it's really hard to mm. evaluate and I just, I don't think it connects with me for a number of reasons like I did that I outlined, but yeah, like I wish I could look at it deeper because it's obviously connected with so many people, and I think yeah. it's probably worthy of critical appraisal. But I, sure. it's really hard for me to get it in. Yeah. Um. Before we throw to to Adam, who has just been death staring us for about the last five minutes, um, <laughs> there is one thing that I want to give credit uh for in this song, and that is bringing in uh what is now known in in songwriting arranging as the Wonderwall start for drummers. You'll note that uh, there is no drums in the first verse of this song and then the drums kick in with a fill Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out and then move in for the rest of the song so it comes in late and it's intentionally late to kind of throw you off because you think it's just going to be another verse without drums mm. and then the fill kicks in at the the 11th hour and it just it just rolls on from there. That's even a technique I've used in my own music. So like I'm at a point now where I can very much appreciate that usage of the of the drumming. And the drumming is uh, quite good. Like uh, on this track, mo- mostly because I I enjoy the use of they're called rods. Um, they're like uh, yeah, like light wooden uh, sticks. Uh, it's like a bundle of skewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. look at. Yeah. So it's like the middle ground between your normal drumsticks and jazz brushes. Yeah. Mm. And it, they get it, a really it good has sound. it has like a really really unique sound to them. And so like purely from a drumming perspective, I think the the drumming in Wonderwall is really really good. But uh, Adam, Adam, you've been you've been glaring yeah. at us. Man. Yeah, kind of have. It looks like you've got have. something to say. Are there many things that you would like to say to <laughs> yeah, us? It I, looks like you do know how. I'm going to try and figure out how. Oh, I here didn't we go. think that I would be the only person in the room to be defending Wonderwall. I didn't think it was going to fall to me to defend <laughs> Wonderwall. <laughs> I didn't Anyways, think well, you might not be. We still haven't heard from our, our friend in Sweden. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Um, our neighbour to the north. <laughs> neighbour to the great white north. The yeah. north. Defender of the north. Yes. <laughs> the, the wall. Yes. John Snow. Um... <laughs> I couldn't resist. Of course. It was just right there. Nathan Harrison. Nathan Harrison. Nathan. Nathan Harrison. Oh, good Lord. There's actually a town about an hour out of Stockholm called Vastaras. Um, so I think George had a map. The more you know. Like, this is really interesting because right. it's not as if I entirely disagree with your points. In fact, I think I largely agree with most of the points that both of you have brought up there, but it's just that the same working has churned out a somewhat different answer. Mm. In much the same way as I go like, okay, so we got going back to my promise of the three songs being linked. Um, So we have, you know, the distillation of hip hop into the pop here. We have the distillation into 90s alt rock into Mm. Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Yes. The pop hit there. Mm. Here is just like the distillation of songs. <laughs> this is just Wonderwall is a song. It's a songy song. It's possibly the songiest song that ever songed. If someone was just going to be like, "What? What's a song?" I think there's a really strong case to be like, "Wonderwall is, this a, is a song." Wonderwall is a song. I don't like I don't, songs. But, <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Got any Megadeth? <laughs> but you know, but you know what? Do you kind of know what I mean when sort I say that? Of, like, it's just sort of in much the same way that like, what's a play? Hamlet's a play, right? You know what I mean? It's just it's canonical, hmm. like all right, which makes it again like linking back to what you were saying, Andrew. Really hard to listen to now because <laughs> it's just like mm. the quote mm. the the quote the theatre practitioners had about Hamlet is that you can't stage Hamlet because every time. You put on Hamlet. There's too many other Hamlets that have already happened. You've yes. heard Wonderwall too many times whenever you hear Wonderwall. Even as I was listening to it, to refresh myself about it on the bus on the way here, I found that I was not really listening to it. My thoughts were going elsewhere. It's just kind of like my when you do something enough, like driving, it becomes automatic. Listening mm. to Wonderwall is something you've definitely done enough. It's going to become automatic. Yes. So it requires effort 
to actually to listen sit to it. and listen to Wonder Wall. It's effort that I went to, and when I did, I have to actually say that the, there is a reason why Wonder Wall became the songiest song that ever songed. It's delightful. It's got a lot of really great moments in there. It's like it's broad enough to be a, for a lot of people to be able to connect to it. No surprise that it became the denominator that rose to the top of the countdown. Not only this countdown, but I should point out several other hottest 100s of all time. Yes. Like including the most recent uh, the hottest 100 of the last 20 years. Yeah. I it's I mean like and I feel like a part of that is going to be people thinking that they there's almost like a compulsion that they should vote for Wonderwall. Again, which comes back to that canonical kind of idea, that canonical thing. It's like there's something about it that just insists on it being a well-crafted song when, when like, you listen well, to it. Sometimes like Teen Spirit, same thing. Whether it's like, oh, well, yeah. you better vote for it. Like, yeah, that's yeah. right. There's something about it that just compels you to, to, to say that this is one of the greats. I still get something out of Teen Spirit, though. There's yeah, not, I get more out of Spirit than this. I get a lot more out of Teen Spirit than I do out of fucking Wonderwall. I'll tell I, you what for. And you know what, Dave? I agree with you when you, you, you made the comment about it's the easiest song in the world to talk shit about when it's not around. Because yeah. I did that a lot. And I agree that it still is that. It still mm. definitely is a song it's that's so that. easy to talk shit about when it's not on. But I just found that in listening, when, it was on. when I actually was listening to it, I was saying like, yeah, I get it. I get Wonderwall. Mm. I understand why every busker thinks that it's a great song to bust. Because there was a time where before every busker bust the song, it was a good song to busk with. <laughs> that makes It huh. makes perfect sense. Like, it's all logical. The love that, for, that people have for Wonderwall is incredibly logical. Whether or not that makes it deserved is a question that's left up to the beholder, and I think that's, as Andrew said, a really difficult question to ask in 2016. Yes, but you know yes. what? Like, how bright the guitar is, the the way that the, the melody is delivered perfectly, imperfectly. If anyone sings Wonderwall on key, they're not singing it right. That's a, I think that's endlessly endearing. But also, like, just the, the little piano refrains, the low strings, it's make, the, the drumming, couldn't agree with you more on that, Dave. To me, it just adds up. The cello to- is quite is quite a nice touch. Like they like considering this band used to like literally throw like fucking orchestras into their yeah. songs for no goddamn reason. Like especially like later day stuff, like "Be Here Now" and "Standing on the Shoulders of Giants" and other fucking garbage records like that. Oh, I think that I think the thing that I take most beef with is you saying that it it doesn't mean anything or that it doesn't make sense because. Nah. I, I, cause, <laughs> and again, Liam like, Gallagher has always been a dog shit songwriter. Like, because I think this is this no is Gallagher, yes, not Liam Gallagher. No, no. see, I, I think like, I mean, it's 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 hooky and and catchy, and it doesn't have to make a, a written down as poetry. The lines don't have to make sense. You don't have to know what a Wonder Wall is, but you get the what the song is actually about coming through, which is this like this ache for salvation and for that coming from someone else, but also the the. The fear that it's that it's not going to happen. Maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. that's that's okay. actually a pretty profound expression, I think, or at least not. If not profound, then at least felt, and something that you know people. I get why people connect to it because everyone's got a need to be saved in kind of their own way, and that's what this song kind of taps into. Mm. So. Look, I didn't think that I was going to be getting this much out of it because before I started prepping for this episode, I'd written off Wonderwall as well. Mm. I'm as much surprised by what I ended up finding through working through what I was going to say about this song as, as you know, as you guys maybe are. <laughs> but that's it. That's if there's, it. If there's a defense that I can mount for Wonderwall, that's that's my defense for Wonderwall. Well, maybe Nathan's going to be the one to save you. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Nathan. Well, I think underneath, the gross saturation and all the white dudes at parties and the buskers are confession sidebar. I've played this busking, but it was only by request and because it's a good money owner. There's nearly a good song in here. Like there's kind of like a nice shift in attitude to other Britpop songs. I don't think it's quite like a optimistic counterpoint to Britpop cynicism, but there's something there. Like if that makes sense. Um, but that said, I hugely take issue with your comparison to Hamlet. As much as Hamlet is naff as fuck and, and done to death, it still speaks to something a lot greater than I think this song does. But I, but I, think, I think there's nearly a good song in here, but at the end of the day, it's kind of impossible to know if I'd feel that way without all of the baggage that the song comes with. It just I think it feels too intentionally it. 
if that makes sense. Like, it's a little too by the numbers. You know, we know what this song is going to be. This is going to be the next big pop hit and people are going to be talking about it decades from now. Like, I think they knew that and, and like, you know, that's fine. And, like, if, if you know that the song is going to be huge, that's not a reason to cancel the song. But I just, I can't shake that feeling that it's a little too... It's not quite manufactured, but, like, they they knew what they were doing and that that cheapens any emotion that's in there. And, obviously, everything around the song in the 20 years since has cheapened it so much. There's very little very little left to go, but I don't know. I think I don't know if this song has a soul, but yeah. Man, it's boring down here. I wonder what they're up to now. What is this? Behind this long velvet curtain? Hello, Nathan. How? How do you know my name? I know you better than you think. Do I sound familiar? No? Should you? What if I told you that Hottest 100s and Thousands is filmed in front of a live studio audience? You were the sting from the end of season one? When you closed the set and moved to FBI, you didn't have any need for me anymore, but I kept watch. I've been monitoring your every move these last two seasons. I know everything about you four. Perhaps more than some of you are letting on. What are you saying? What I'm saying is that the conspiracy you speak of is an inside job. Like 9-11? Worse than 9-11. Oh my god. Hey man. Hey guys. You ready to get out of there? Not until I get some answers. Guys, there's someone you need to meet. Alright, how about it guys? Season 3 in the can? Hello, Adam. How did you find him? What has he told you? He's told me enough. Sam, I have one question. Were the bullets recovered from the body of Harambe DNA coded? Yes, Nathan. It could not be otherwise. And what was the result of the computer check on the DNA coding of those bullets? The DNA is a perfect match for Mr. Adam Buncher. It's a lie! The evidence has been falsified! It's impossible! I never betrayed the law! I am the law! You gotta believe me. You killed Harambe, and then made up the story of him still being alive. You framed the entire conspiracy on a fictional character of the Nintendo franchise. Thought you were my friend. And I thought you were my friend! Guys... Guys, I can explain. This is... I mean... Enough games, Buncher. That is your real name. Let's see who you really are. The angel opens her eyes. <laughs> Why, it's Edgar Walchick, former lead singer of acclaimed American rock band Live. Wait, that can't be Edgar Walchick. He's got hair. It's another mask. Okay, this evening on 26. Richard Kingsmill from Triple J. Actually, huh? we've been playing that's, him. That's, that's bloody pre-recorded. How far down does this go? <gasps> Dave Gleason from the Screaming Jess. What do you have to say for yourself, Dave? Uh, I, I, I think his face is is literally just frozen that way. Man, that photo from Wikipedia really was accurate. I think we've almost cracked it. Oh my God! Of course, it had to be you. It's been staring us in the face this entire time. The guys from Live, Richard Kingsmill, Donkey Kong, Dickie Knee, they're all just pawns. Is it who I think it is? It is, yeah. And they're just as beautiful in real life. This answers so many questions. But it also poses so many more. Namely, what happened to Adam? Did Adam ever really exist? Is Horizon Hundreds and Thousands part of something bigger than itself? Is there a god? Will there ever be another rainbow? How are we ever supposed to make sense of anything ever again? And most importantly, how did you get so many songs on the Horizon 100 without ever once being played on Triple J? Yeah, yeah, yeah.